You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, episode 19, for June 1st, 2008. Warning. This episode contains adult language and mature themes and situations. Listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorphcity.com. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to the Metamore City Podcast. I am Chris Lester, your host, and I am recording this the day after returning from Balticon 42 in beautiful Hunt Valley, Maryland. This was my first time at Balticon, and I have just got to say, wow. Just wow. This isn't scripted. I want this to be genuine, but uh, this was without a doubt the best con experience of my life, and one of the best experiences of my life, period. I wouldn't put it quite on the same level as, say, defending my master's thesis, but it was pretty darn close. Gosh, where to begin? There were just so many amazing experiences there. Um, Okay, the first thing is, when I first arrived, um, Brian Watson and I drove in 11 hours from Detroit to the uh, the hotel where Balticon was happening. Hadn't even checked into our hotel yet, just showed up to get our badges and what have you. And uh, we'd come in a side door uh, and ended up in the uh, the dealer's area. And we were sort of stumbling around trying to find out where we were supposed to go when uh, M.A. and P.A. and uh, her fiancé, Dan, they spotted us from across the room and uh, came over, said hello, and uh, they dragged us down to ops and got us all set up with our badges and such, and uh, then took us down to the bar. There are no words for what happened next other than to uh, perhaps say that it was a massive glomping. Um, <laughs> so I come in, and, and within the space of two minutes, I am met by Mer Lafferty, who just tackled me, practically. Um, Indiana Jim, who also tackled me, but he is, he was much bigger, and therefore it was much scarier. <laughs> <laughs> Nobilis, who is, like, crazy tall. Um, there it, there aren't very many people who are taller than me, and I was not expecting to be staring up at Nobilis, but uh, he came over, and, oh, uh, gosh, so many people there. Um, Scott and May Breakall, um, Chooch and Viv from Into the Blender, T. Morris, who practically tackled me. Just all of these people... Um, swarming around me, saying hello and um, saying how how excited they were to see me. And down the way down there, Ma had said, you know, people kept sending messages to her, each other. You know, have you heard from Chris? Have you heard from Chris? Is he here yet? And uh, then I show up, and uh, I'm I'm just met by this this outpouring of love and affection. And uh, it was it was like coming home to a family that I had never met before. Um, I'm I'm getting teary eyed just just thinking about it. It was it was so beautiful and so overwhelming. 
and uh, almost scary <laughs> because after getting you know embraced by all of these wonderful people and it's like hi yeah um is, thank you for that wonderful greeting <laughs> i have to go hide now <laughs> oh my gosh it was it was amazing and uh, so brian and i escaped and uh, went and checked into our hotel and then got some dinner and by the time that we came back, um, it was about time for my first panel. And by that time, I was feeling like I had things uh, more under control. From there, it was a whirlwind set of panels, one after the other after the other, until like 11 o'clock at night. And uh, that was my first day at Balticon. On Saturday morning, we did the rehearsal for uh, Mer Lafferty's The Takeover, which is a new audio drama that she's putting together that I am happily a part of, which you can find out about at zombinc.net. I will have a, uh, a promo for that later in the show. We performed that, the first two chapters of uh, The Takeover, at uh, about 1 o'clock. After that, I had a little bit of time to just kind of get to know some people, attended some more panels. Then on Saturday night... I had my reading for uh, the first ever live reading of The Cuckoo, which is a new Metamore City story that uh, I'm hoping to put out on the podcast in July. We had a bit of a uh, problem early on because the room where the reading was supposed to have was taken over by the judges in charge of the masquerade. So we were a little bit uh, confused about what we were supposed to be doing at that point, but we managed to find a place to, to do the reading and... Uh, had about a dozen people there and got a very good reception from them. It was uh, everybody. Everybody really liked the story. That was that was just amazingly gratifying to be able to perform my own fiction in front of people. It's a unique experience, let me tell you. There's uh, there's nothing quite like taking a, a piece of yourself and uh, putting it on display in that way, and then uh, having people validate it and uh, tell you how much they enjoyed it. You know, I, I went long. The, the performance went for almost two hours. At the end of it, everybody was just uh, so encouraging with the feedback that they gave me on it. It was like nobody minded staying the extra time, even though it was almost one o'clock in the morning. Well, actually, I think it was even maybe a little after that by the time that we finally finished up, because it had taken some time to find the room in the first place. But after that, um, Scott and May Breakall invited us up to their room for a little uh, hangout time. And uh, I was only planning on going for about a half an hour because I was, I was tired and drained from doing the performance. And, you know, I thought I was just going to come in and stick my head in for a while and then go on my way to bed. But something about hanging out with these people just breathed new life back into me and filled me with so much uh, energy and vitality that, you know, half an hour turned into an hour, turned into two hours, turned into three hours. And we had more and more people who just kept showing up to fill the room. You know, Chooch and Viv from the End of the Blender podcast were there, and uh, Scott Phillips and Heather Welliver and uh, Mark Bailey from Grail Wolf's Geek Life and T. Morris, and Christiana Ellis, and uh, it was like more and more people just kept showing up, and the party just kept getting more and more alive, 
And uh, then we we Skyped a uh, connection to Pip Ballantine. And so everybody was crowded around the computer and, you know, waving to Pip and talking with her. It wasn't quite as good as having her there in person, but it was pretty darned awesome. And uh, <laughs> we got to have so much fun there that we got a little noisy. Well, some of us got noisy. <coughs> Indiana Jim. <coughs> Team Morris. Yeah. Um, the take-home message here is that the cops got called on us. <laughs> and uh, we ended up clearing out of there at about 3.30. And Brian and I got back to our hotel and got to bed by 4. And uh, that was just amazing. You know, I have I have stayed up that late before, but it has been a long time since I have stayed up that late and felt so energized by the people's company I was keeping that I didn't feel it. You know, I'm I'm not as young as I used to be, and the fact that there it felt like there was so little drain on me when I was in the company of those people is just a, a testament to the quality of the uh, the fellowship that we were having. And uh, then Saturday, Sunday morning rolled around. I slept in till about 10 or so, only got about six hours of sleep. But it was enough to function, especially by con standards. And got back to the Marriott just in time to see the Singularity, which was the big presentation for Stranger Things that was put together by Earl Newton and uh, David Cantor and Matt Wallace, who is the author for episode four of Stranger Things, Latchkeepers, which they showed in its entirety at the presentation. And there are no words for this, folks. If you weren't there at the Singularity, you missed out, because this was a presentation on a level that puts every other podcaster in this business to shame. These guys are amazing, and if you have not seen Stranger Things, if you were kind of putting it off like I was, uh, don't. Go now to StrangerThings.tv and catch up, because what these guys are doing is mind-blowing. Seriously. It is so mind-blowing, in fact, that they have caught the attention of a cable on-demand service, which is now going to uh, be offering Stranger Things on demand. You know, obviously, this is a huge win for everybody in the podcasting world, that these guys were able to take this this astonishingly well-made video podcast and then turn it into something that is recognized by the mainstreamers and uh, that they are loving so much that they are willing to take a chance on it and put it out there in on-demand. This is huge for everybody in podcasting. And my uh, deepest congratulations and thanks go out to Earl Newton and his crew for what they've accomplished here, because it's going to benefit all of us in the long run. And uh, Latchkeepers, it is a damn good story, people. Matt Wallace is the uh, the author of this. He's the guy behind the failed Cine's monologues, the guy behind a lot of what uh, goes out on variant frequencies, the guy behind The Next Fix, which is a uh, short story anthology that is available now. Matt is just an amazingly talented writer, and what he was able to do with this screenplay was really exceptional. 
really well done and the actors really brought it through totally sold it everybody who was involved in this project um what they accomplished is is just amazing and they deserve every ounce of praise that is going to be heading in their direction over the coming weeks as people talk about this and the other really cool thing that happened there um you know i could talk about all the panels that i was on and all the the live shows that i attended and T. Morris uh, groveling at the feet of the mighty Mer Lafferty. But the thing that was really uh, especially cool for me was uh, getting a chance to get new pictures taken by J.R. Blackwell. You know, J.R. Is, is just an exceptionally talented, beautiful, versatile human being. And the fact that she volunteered to take some pictures of me to help promote my podcast and give me a better presentation of myself out there on the net that was it was really cool of her and I'm very grateful that she took the time to do it and uh, she actually really enjoyed taking the time to uh, line me up against the wall and shoot me (laughs) oh it was it was great meeting everybody and this was definitely a uh, a mile marker in my life. You know, this, this was amazing. And, uh, I can't say that enough and I can't say thank you enough to everybody in the community for welcoming and embracing me and, uh, accepting me as a brother and a member of the tribe and, uh, to everybody who I, I spent time having meals with and talking to and just sharing life with that weekend in one way or another. You guys are in my heart in a way that uh, relatively few people have been. And I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for making me feel like family. Okay, mushy stuff over. It's time now for what I know you've all been waiting for, which is Chapter 11 of Making the Cut. Now... If you just learned about Metamorph City at Balticon, you're going to want to go back to either episode one, which is a short story that introduces the world of Metamorph City, or you can skip ahead to episode nine, which is chapter one of Making the Cut. Those episodes will do a better job of getting you up to speed. But for those who have been following along with me from the beginning and uh, just need a bit of a refresher, here is the story so far. Daniel Sharabi was a telepath with a problem, namely, lousy telepathy. The local community of telepaths, known as the Hive, decided that he was too weak to breed, given that they already had more than enough high-powered males to sire children with the available females. After talking with his new friend, the androgyne runner known as Ava Salindi, Daniel decided to try a radical experiment. Using a potion obtained by Ava, he transformed himself into a woman temporarily mimicking the effects of the androgyne curse. If Danny could live with being a woman and having relationships with men, she would take the curse permanently. This would allow her to bear children for the Psy Collective, thus changing her from one of the Hive's least valuable members to one of the most important. Danny went to a nightclub with Ava, where she met another low-powered telepath named Jared. They quickly formed a connection and exchanged phone numbers. The next morning, Danny woke up to find that she was still a woman, and that she was unable to change back into Daniel. Ava explained that the androgyne curse seems to be tied to your innermost desires. Danny wouldn't change back unless she really wanted to subconsciously. 
Their conversation was interrupted by a phone call from Jared, who asked Danny to join him for dinner later that night. Danny agreed and set out to finish her shopping. For reasons she couldn't quite explain, she was eager to look her very best for Jared. Chapter 11 Danny returned home from her afternoon shopping spree with an armful of bags, a list of fashion tips from the store clerks, and a credit card bill that she would be paying off for at least the next two months. She was grateful that the collective managed her food and shelter expenses, so she wouldn't have to worry about meals or rent, but she was looking at a long stretch of very quiet evenings at home, unless the entertainment was on someone else's coin. Still, she felt good about her purchases. The jeans that she'd worn for her shopping trip had been too loose at the waist, too tight in back, and too long in the inseam, which led to the odd combination of feeling like her pants were falling down while simultaneously having her ass stuck in a corset. She'd worn one of her baggiest t-shirts with the jeans, and while it had enough room for her breasts, barely, she had come to the reluctant conclusion that men's t-shirts just didn't look all that good on women. Sasha had said as much before, but as Daniel, she'd never realized how wrong their shape was for a female body. As soon as she had her newly purchased clothes in hand, Danny had gone back into the changing room and swapped her baggy, bulky outfit for something more flattering. It was a hot, sunny, and beautiful day full of promises about the coming summer, and she opted for an outfit that matched the weather. The silk blouse she wore now was a riotous pattern of turquoise, coral, and bright yellow with short sleeves and a neckline low enough to give teasing peaks at her cleavage. The tan skirt was tame by contrast, but it showed off her long, shapely legs without sacrificing modesty. She was glad to be able to stick her sneakers in a bag, too. While her feet hadn't gotten much smaller with the change and she had been able to wear her own shoes by tightening the laces, they looked clunky and awkward on her feminine frame. The flat sandals she now wore worked much better with the new outfit, and they fit her feet better besides. It would have surprised her if she had been told about it a few weeks ago, but she felt fantastic. In spite of the ongoing struggles between her masculine ego and her new instincts, there was something deeply satisfying about knowing that she was beautiful. Her new body continued to astonish her every time she looked in the mirror, and it gave her a thrill to dress in ways that would show off that body to the rest of the world. She wasn't sure if normal women felt that way or if it was some side effect of the curse. For all she knew, maybe it was just the way her brain reacted to being stuck into a beautiful woman's body. But there it was. Danny was gorgeous, she knew she was gorgeous, and she absolutely reveled in it. She rode the lift up to her apartment and paused at the entrance. It took some juggling to fish her key out of her purse and get it into the door, and then a few more awkward maneuvers as she pushed her way inside and carried the bags over to the couch. Her back was glad to be free of the load, and she lifted her arms over her head and stretched to loosen up the tired muscles. She heard a sound like a muffled squeal from the direction of the bedrooms, followed by the clatter of a wheeled chair turning over. A clatter of feet sounded from the hallway, and then Nathan stood before her, arms limp at his sides. His wide-eyed expression suggested an emotional state similar to religious ecstasy. Holy blessed father of lights! It's true! When I saw the security footage, I almost didn't believe it, but it's true! Danny's sunny mood was abruptly squashed by the awkward silence that followed. Nathan drank in the sight of her like a man dying of thirst, his nervous, roving eyes examining every line and curve with laser beam intensity. 
His gaze fell on her breasts, and his lips parted, the tip of his tongue running over them unconsciously. And this is the downside of being beautiful, Danny thought. Being noticed and admired by strangers was one thing. Getting turned into fodder for her flatmate's sexual fantasies was quite another. Hi, Nate, she said with exaggerated cheerfulness. So nice to see you. Oh, my weekend's been great so far. Thanks for asking. How's yours? Nathan flinched and blinked rapidly as her tone sank in, but he did manage to tear his eyes away from her chest. Oh, sorry, Double D. I, I, I mean, Big D. He amended quickly, upon seeing the look of fury in her eyes. Er, or maybe Danny, I guess? That's what the other chick called you, right? Danny crossed her arms in front of her. She was trying to look menacing, but it just pushed her breasts up higher, and that sent Nathan's eyes back down to her cleavage again. She sighed and turned her back on him. Danny is fine. She began pulling garments out of her shopping bags and laying them out on the back of the couch. Right. Danny, then. Nathan fidgeted behind her, shifting his weight from one foot to the other. Was there something you needed, Nate? Well, I, um... He paused, and Danny could almost hear him swallow back his nervousness. It's more of an intellectual curiosity, actually, about the, um, the details of the changes. I'm sort of an amateur scholar of the curse, you see, and I've, um, never had the chance to study the effects of the androgyne variant firsthand. Danny looked up at the ceiling and silently, slowly counted to ten. So, um, if you'd be willing to participate in some, uh, some data collection, purely in the interests of academia, mind what you. What do you want, Nathan? Um. Yes? A video recording. He paused again, and out of the corner of her eye, she saw him staring at his feet. Of you transforming from a man into a woman. She put her hands on her hips and turned around. Is that all? He shrugged. Nate, androgynes have been around for hundreds of years. There must be thousands of recordings of them transforming by now. Well... <coughs> he coughed. Yes, but... But what? She spread her hands and almost laughed. I'll admit I look great, but most TGs are beautiful. So what's so special about me? Nathan cleared his throat. Well, um, the videographic record of androgyne transformation has largely been steeped in mystic nonsense or, or erotic sensationalism, he said, finally looking up at her. Too many people think that the curse shouldn't be analyzed, shouldn't be questioned. Wizards tried for years to unravel it before the Majestrix brought under a measure of control, and none of them ever succeeded. Most of the attempts backfired with unpredictable results. The end result has been a... A timidity about scientific investigation of the curse, even with modern theoretical advances in manology. Because it took a demigoddess to bring the curse under control before, people believe that it'll escape our understanding forever. It's a fallacious conclusion, you see. So what? Danny said, frowning. You want to do scientific analysis of the transformation process? Figure out how it works? We're a long way from understanding the mechanism, Nathan said hastily. Even accurate description would be a major step forward for the field. If we could, um, if we could collect a detailed catalog of the anatomical changes, if we could videotape and photograph it throughout the intermediate stages, take, take measurements and reference images. I get the idea. 
She sat back against the edge of the couch and rested her chin on one hand. I can see where the data could be useful, of course, but I'm not so sure how you're going to leverage this into a serious research project. To do this right, you'd need manologists, doctors, biochemists, even psychologists to track the mental changes. Where are you going to get all these people if everyone is so timid about analyzing the curse? We've been building a community of like-minded researchers across the world, Ned, Nathan said eagerly. Call it a sort of open-source scientific endeavor. Researchers post what they need, and the rest of us try to collect it for them. He looked up at her, hopeful. Will you do it? She rolled the idea around in her head. On the one hand, it would mean learning more about herself and the life she was planning to lead, and that had to be a good thing. On the other hand, it would mean being examined by Nathan, repeatedly and in exacting detail, and she wasn't sure she was ready to deal with that. Nate was a good guy on the whole, but his obsession with beautiful women unsettled her now that she was one of them. I'll think about it, she said, picking up her clothes and walking past him toward her bedroom. Oh, come on, Danny. Every guy knows that I'll think about it means no. She didn't slow down or look back. No, it means I'll think about it. I have a date in less than two hours, and I'm not going to decide anything right now. Ooh, a date? Nate said, brightening instantly. Is it with that hot blonde you came in with last night? Danny shook her head. Ava's a Monday, Nate. I'm just going to dinner with someone I met last night. She turned to close the door and found Nathan's face right in front of her. Male or female? He asked, grinning. She glared at him. What? Intellectual curiosity. Danny rolled her eyes and took a deep breath. Not that it's any of your business. But? He's a teep named Jared. Aha! Nate pointed a finger at her. There it is. Direct evidence of androsexual overlay on a previously exclusive gyrosexual orientation. There's a long chain of anecdotal evidence, but it's never been confirmed experimentally. Do you think the hospital would let us perform a few brain scans? If we could just get some before and after images of the relevant ganglionic structures- Nathan! Nathan shut up. Danny put one finger squarely on the tip of his prominent nose. Not. No. His eyes crossed as he looked at the finger. Right. Of course. Silly me. A thousand pardons. Please proceed with your, um, pre-date preparations. He took half a step back and twitched his head toward the door to his room. I'll just, um... Danny nodded, then pushed the door closed. A centimeter before it shut completely, Nathan called out, Danny? She opened it back up a little. Yes, Nate? The, um... He gestured at his chest. Accoutrements. Would you say it's like wearing bags full of water, or are they more like firm gelatin? She slammed the door in his face. So, what do you think? What do I think? Danny cast an appraising eye at the room around them. I think you've got some class, Mr. Tamlin. And apparently, some money. Danny had never eaten at the Panoramic before. The restaurant was built into the upper levels of the eastern minaret of Caius Citadel. Its outer wall was one unbroken array of windows, three and a half meters high from floor to ceiling. The restaurant slowly revolved on its axis, so anyone who ate there was eventually treated to a full 360-degree view of the city below. The restaurant itself boasted dark hardwood tables, genuine leather on the seat cushions, and small, elegant artistic touches throughout, from the Sathmoran carvings on the support pillars to the gold trim on the crystal wine glasses. 
So what exactly do you do for a living that you can afford to eat like this? Danny asked, quirking an eyebrow at him. Investment analysis? Casino owner? International hitman? Jared chuckled as the rims of his ears turned red with embarrassment. <laughs> Nothing so exotic. I'm actually a psychologist with the MCPD. Danny blinked. So what? You help the cops figure out whether they're going crazy? Sometimes, Jared said, smiling. Fitness for duty assessment is what we call it. You can see some pretty terrible things when you're a cop. I give them a safe place to talk over what happened to them, process their feelings, and when they're ready, I clear them to go back to work. He shrugged. There are other parts of the job, too. I help screen applicants to make sure they're stable enough to work in the force, or if they're likely to be vulnerable to corruption. I examine defendants to make sure they're competent to stand trial. Sometimes I help with hostage negotiations. Whoa, what's that like? Jared grimaced. Not fun. I, um, I don't really like to get into the details. Danny gave him what she hoped was a sympathetic expression. Hey, okay. Her hand reached out and found his, clasping it across the table. Their emotions briefly wrapped around each other, and she could feel an old hurt lingering there, one he wasn't ready for her to touch. She brushed up against the surface of the memory and then withdrew, signaling that she wasn't going to pry about it. He sent a wave of gratitude toward her in return, and they both smiled a little. So, she said, shifting the conversation back to safer ground. Everything I've heard says cops don't make very much. How'd you score this? Well, shrinks do make more than your average detective, Jared said. His posture grew more relaxed, and a playful smirk came onto his face. <laughs> Not enough to eat here often, but I figured tonight was special. Why is that? Some sort of anniversary you were planning on celebrating? No, he said, winking. Un unless you count the 24-hour anniversary of when we met. She frowned. Jared, I've seen the waiting list for this place. It takes weeks to even get a table for two. You're going to tell me that you just decided to bring me here on the spur of the moment, and you actually got a table? He shrugged helplessly. What can I say? I stopped by earlier and asked if they had an opening, and it turned out somebody had canceled the reservation. So that's when I called you. No big mystery about it. Just a little luck. She smirked at him. Are you always that lucky, Mr. Tamlin? He steepled his fingers and peered at her from behind them. What's the matter, Miss Shirabi? He asked, his voice velvet smooth and cultured like a spy movie villain. Becoming suspicious about my master plan? She leaned in close over the table and matched his expression. Of course. Everyone knows that the psychologist is always the evil mastermind, out to seduce the heroine with his villainous wiles. Don't be silly. Men can't have wiles. That's women's turf. They even call them feminine wiles. I would have thought you knew all about that. Hmm. Danny purred. Maybe I'm just not very good at being a woman, hmm? Jared leaned in until their noses were almost touching. If you start to make any mistakes, believe me. I'll let you know. Danny sat back, suddenly uncomfortable. She tried not to grimace. This was skirting too close to something she'd hoped she wouldn't need to bring up yet. Unfortunately, Jared saw the change in her expression and misinterpreted it. I'm sorry, he said, his eyes looking worried. That, that was too much, too fast, wasn't it? I, I didn't mean... No, Danny said, putting up a hand to forestall any further apologies. It's not you, really. I just... She let out a frustrated sigh. Jared cocked his head and peered at her closely, but his eyes were gentle and kind. 
If you don't want to tell me, it's all right. I do understand. She shook her head. No, it's probably best I told you anyway. She took a deep breath. I'm an androgyne. The truth is that I'm not very good at being a woman yet. There's a lot I'm still getting used to. He smiled sympathetically. I take it you weren't attracted to men before the change? No. She lowered her eyes. If that's too weird for you, I'll understand. Jared shook his head. Hey, I've lived in this city my whole life, Danny. I know a lot of androgynes. I've even dated several of them. Off her surprised look, he added, Oh, sure. Androgynes usually make great lovers, and not just because of the high sex drive. There's something to be said for dating a person who knows how a man's brain works. He reached across the table and offered his hand. It doesn't bother me, Danny. As long as you don't expect me to have sex with you while you're a man, I'm cool with it. He shrugged and smiled. Nothing against bisexuals. I'm, I'm just not one of them. Danny returned the smile and took his hand. <laughs> it's a deal. So I take it you've dated outside of the collective? I grew up in the creche and I never saw many androgynes there. Jared nodded. My telepathy is weak enough that it isn't a danger to Mondays. Plus, honestly, most teep women would rather be with someone who has some measurable talent. Believe me, I've noticed, Danny said dryly. <laughs> I guess you would have. Still, I miss the link when it isn't there. Just because I can have sex without entering a gestalt doesn't mean I enjoy it. Well, not as much, anyway. The waiter arrived then and took their orders, and the rest of the dinner went surprisingly well. Danny found herself growing increasingly comfortable with Jared's company. His relaxed demeanor and good humor were infectious. Their conversation ranged all over the map, from collective politics to their misadventures in college. Jared, it seemed, had had relatively little to do with the collective. Born to mundane parents, he had been tested by the Hive at age 18 after he discovered that he could hear his girlfriend's thoughts when they made love. The Hive quickly deduced that he was a latent telepath, but his power was so faint that they judged that it wasn't worth their time to train him in anything more than the basics of using his power. Jared soon realized that he would always be a second-class citizen if he joined the Hive, so he stayed in the mundane world and kept only casual connections with the rest of the Psy community. Danny found it liberating to talk to such a kindred spirit, and the bottle of wine that Jared ordered helped to further loosen her tongue. She was careful not to talk about Victor, or the Vampire Syndicate, or the deaths of Dal and Trace, but she shared stories of her younger life without hesitation. By the time their dessert came, it was obvious that Jared had been paying closer attention to what she had said than Danny had. So, where is Rebecca now? Danny looked up in surprise. Sorry? Well, she keeps coming up when you talk about your life. Based on your body language and your tone of voice, I gather that she's still alive and the two of you are still close. He must have seen something else in Danny's reaction to that, because he leaned forward and she saw her own sadness reflected in his eyes. But apparently not as close as you'd like to be, he added softly. Danny looked away, flustered. That's, um, wow. She laughed nervously. <laughs> I never dated a psychologist before. It's kind of scary that you can do that without telepathy. I'm sorry, Jared said. He sounded like he meant it. It's hard to turn off the instincts once you have them. It's just... I want to know what I'm getting into here. I can sympathize, Danny said. She took a drink of water and sighed. Yes, I still love Rebecca. If she ever needed me, I would be there for her in a heartbeat. But she's in a breeding cell now, and she's pregnant with someone else's kid. 
She did not add that she hoped to get inside that breeding cell herself someday. Most telepaths didn't have a problem with the idea that you could love more than one person at a time. A deep gestalt made the concept of jealousy impossible, since every other person in the bond basically became a part of you. The whole social structure of the Collective was based on that principle. But Jared hadn't grown up inside the Collective, and Danny wasn't sure yet how comfortable he was with the idea of polyamory. For that matter, she wasn't even sure how Rebecca and her cellmates would feel about bringing Danny into the breeding cell. For now, she was content to leave Jared with the impression that it was over between her and Becca, even if she hoped that wouldn't always be the case. Jared winced. It's hard getting stuck on the outside. I've been there my whole life. Danny nodded. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of other teeps looking at me like I'm pathetic and useless. Do you know how hard it is to get people to respect you as a person when they look at you and all they feel is pity? Gods, it's like being... Blind? Jared suggested quietly. The words stopped Danny in her tracks. She was suddenly aware of the anger in her own voice, and it surprised her with its intensity. She'd been suppressing more than she realized. Yeah. She whispered. Blind. Or deaf. Or... Crippled. Jared reached over and took her hand. And that's why you decided to become a woman? His voice was soft and gentle, but his hand felt strong and steady against her own. Danny found herself squeezing his hand, taking comfort in that strength, and that surprised her too. She felt her eyes getting misty, and she squeezed his hand more tightly. Yes, she said quietly. The way I figure it, at least this way I'll get some respect. She let out a humorless laugh. The Hive can always use more potential mothers, right? Jared frowned a little. So why come to me? There must be stronger teeps in the Collective who'd love to date a woman as beautiful as you. Why were you interested in me? Danny blushed and leaned in closer. Because you know what it's like when nobody wants you. Jared leaned in as well. I wouldn't say nobody. They looked into each other's eyes for a long moment, their faces only centimeters apart. Her eyes fluttered briefly downward. His mouth looked strong and inviting. A rush of thoughts passed through her head in a blur. Do I really want this? She wondered. Is this part of who I am now? Am I doing this because it feels right? Or is this just part of my plan to get Rebecca? Am I using Jared to test my own sexuality like some kind of lab rat? Or is this kinship I feel with him a part of something real? He smiled at her, desire glinting in his eyes and another thought replaced the others. Stop thinking so hard. She closed her eyes and kissed him. Her body's reaction was as sudden and surprising as touching a live wire. A spasm of raw need shot through her, and her doubts and hesitancy evaporated into non-existence. There was no coherent thought to it at all, no justification or analysis. There was only the drive to touch, and to be touched in return. She moaned and grabbed his head in both hands, deepening the kiss. She heard other customers murmuring around them, but she didn't care. If she could have climbed across the table and straddled him there in the restaurant, she would have done it. She gasped when they came up for air, then looked straight into his eyes. We have got to get out of here. The waiter had not even brought the check yet. Jared looked at her searchingly, his dark eyes unreadable. Then he pulled three 50-mark bills out of his wallet and placed them on the table. They boarded the lift and took the long 1,200-meter ride back to the parking garage without saying another word. Their mouths were busy with other things.
Sunday, June 2nd. Danny Sharabi stood naked in front of her bedroom mirror, looking blankly at her own reflection. She ran her hands over the lines of her face, feeling the soft skin of her cheeks, the curving bow of her lips. She closed her eyes and remembered the night before, when strong, masculine hands had touched that skin, and a man's mouth had moved against her own. Why had she kissed him? More to the point, why had kissing him felt like the right thing to do? And what in the seventh hell had happened to her afterwards? She didn't understand who she was anymore. She had gone from nervous indecision to wanton need in the space of two seconds, from a simple God's damned kiss. That wasn't normal. She was pretty sure it wasn't normal even for androgynes. Even Ava, who had been frank about her attraction to Danny from the beginning, had still had enough presence of mind to say no when she needed to. Not like me. She thought back to Jared Skimmer in the Citadel parking lot, where she had tried to pull down his pants and mount him there in the front seat. Jared had stopped her by rolling her over into her own seat, and then buckling her into the harness while she was still busy trying to loosen his belt. He threw himself back into his own seat with a visible effort of will, then covered up the buckle of her harness with one outstretched hand to keep her from disengaging it. She had struggled against the belts for at least ten seconds before the thought had even occurred to her. Snap out of it, Danny. But I want... Not like this. Never like this. You're drunk and I won't take advantage of that. She'd said some rather unkind things at that point, which he had graciously ignored. When she finally gave up and collapsed into sullen silence, he started the skimmer and took her straight home. She'd gone to her room and collapsed on her bed in an ugly mood. When Kevin knocked on her door to check on her, she pretended to be asleep. She closed her eyes and thought about Rebecca. She remembered being Daniel and holding her in his arms, embracing her, making love to her. She remembered Rebecca's smile, the one that could light up a room instantly. She remembered their first night together, on Rebecca's 16th birthday. They had snuck out of the creche a little after midnight and had gone down to a vacant office a few stories below the Westfall campus, where they had broken in a few nights before and hidden blankets, pillows, and sleeping bags. She remembered their sour faces as they tried the beer that Dell had acquired for them, and the heady, giddy feeling from the cannabis cigarettes. She remembered entering Rebecca for the first time, and the mingled feelings of pain and pleasure that had echoed through their telepathic bond. She remembered Rebecca's body moving above Daniel's, her soft curves traced in moonlight, while he reached up and ran his teenaged hands clumsily over her breasts. I miss you, she thought. And with that, her body began to change. The transformation was faster this time, and the sensations that came with it seemed less intense. Danny had expected that. If androgynes were racked by orgasmic pleasure every time they changed forms, she suspected that they might never leave their bedrooms. The changes ceased, and Daniel opened his eyes to look at his familiar masculine form. Glossy black hair still fell to his shoulders, and his body was still hairless from the neck down. But other than that, he looked the same as he had before taking the potion two nights ago. He pulled on a t-shirt and a pair of boxers, then went out to the living room and grabbed the phone. He punched in the numbers harder than he probably needed to. The phone rang, and he began to pace restlessly through the room. The other end picked up after the fourth ring. Hello? 
a man's voice said blearily. Evan? There was a pause. Just a minute. Another pause, longer this time. When he spoke again, his voice was lower. Daniel? We need to talk, Evan. Yes, well, could you do it a little quieter? I have company over. Gods, do you have any idea what time it is? Daniel glanced at the clock on the stove. 8.23. Most of our friends in the Ecclesia are probably at their morning services by now. Evan groaned. (laughs) Bloody barbaric, if you ask me. I didn't, actually. Evan, listen to me. The spell that your wizard friend gave you to imitate the effects of the curse. Are you sure that it works exactly the same way? Yeah, I'm sure. Daniel could hear the frown in Evan's voice. Well, Artax said that it's as close to a perfect copy as he could make it. And you trust his competence in this? Yes, Daniel. For God's sake, the man's been doing magic longer than our parents have been alive. He has over 10,000 citations in the Monology Journals. He'd be a bloody archmage by now if he didn't hate the politics so much. All right, I get the picture. He took a deep breath, then let it out. I think I've been enchanted, Evan. Someone's screwing with my mind. What makes you say that? Briefly, Daniel described what had happened in the restaurant, the lift, and the parking garage. You're right. That isn't normal. Meet me at our taxes shop at, let's say, noon. The old git probably won't be open before then anyway. Don't worry, Daniel. If anything dodgy is going on, Artax will get to the bottom of it. Daniel nodded to himself. All right. Thanks, Evan. No worries. Uh, might I make a request in return? What's that? Promise me now, if you ever want to talk to me again before ten o'clock on a Sunday morning, that it will be as Danny, that she will be in my bed, and that she will be naked. Because I swear, if you attempt such a conversation again under any other conditions, I am going to have to kill you. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City Podcast, right after these messages. Hello, this is J.C. Hutchins speaking. Fuck you, Hutchins. Well, hey, Sigler. Gosh, how's it going? Gee, I hope you're well. I'm not fucking well. I'm fucking annoyed. Well, golly, why's that? The nominations for the Parsec Awards are coming up again. Gosh, the Parsec Awards? You mean those Neato Keen Awards given to the year's best speculative fiction podcasts? Yeah, that's right. The fucking Parsec Awards. Anyone can nominate their favorite podcast at www.parsecawards.com. The winners are announced at DragonCon in Atlanta, August 29th through September 1st. Well, holy cow. When's the deadline to nominate stuff? The nominations close at midnight on June 15th. The stories themselves had to have run between May 1st, 2007 and April 30th, 2008. Whatever kind of podcast fiction, story, whatever people like, they can just go to ParsecAwards.com and f***ing vote for it. Wowie! Boy, I bet the Parsec Awards will really have some keen categories this year. They've got f***ing dozens of f***ing categories, like Best F***ing Short Story, Best F***ing Novella, and Best motherfucking Long Form Fiction, which is that thing that you and I do. What? They... They have an award for what we do? F***ing ain't right they do. 
best long-form fiction, which means best novel. But, but you've never won a Parsec. No f- shit, you f***ing jet age genius. Neither of you. Well, f- the Parsec Awards. Whoa. F- them right in their cornhole mother cheating ears. That's what I'm saying. Stupid aardvark sucking licking camel f***ing shit f***ing ass wipes. I swear the next time I f***ing hear about one of those goddamn things, I'll put that little statuette where the f***ing sun don't shine. Take a Prozac. Shit sucking ass mother sucking toilet paper roll f***ing titty licking shit burgers. Jeez, dude. Take it easy. It's just an award. Managers, do you have problems with workers coming in late, leaving early, and taking too long of a lunch break? Let's face it, employees these days are not hardworking. They're too busy checking email, reading blogs, chatting with their new friend in Sweden, who's really a hairy guy from Duluth, or, God forbid, listening to podcasts to be of any real use to you. This is where Zombink can help you. We are, among other things, a zombie placement service that will supply you with workers that will work tirelessly around the clock. They don't need breaks. They don't need social security. And if there's a workplace accident, there's none of that pesky short-term disability or lawsuits. Simply return the damaged zombie to us and you'll be supplied with a new one. Think of Zombink when you see that lifeless, uninterested look in your living employee's eyes. At least with zombies, that lifeless, uninterested look will be on the face of a hard worker. Zombink can supply you with workers for construction, farming, security, janitorial services, and web design. And we're adding new services every month. Please visit our website at zombink.net to order your own service today. Clients of Zombie are responsible for the well-being of their human employees, customers, and visitors. Employ zombies at your own risk. All mutilations, dismemberments, death, or the transfer of the zombie curse are the responsibility of the client, not Zombie. You're hiring zombies. What do you expect? Hi, this is Kimmy Alexander from Tail Chasing at www.tailchasing.com, and you're listening to the Metamorph City Podcast. Thanks, Kimmy. I ran long in the opening segment today, so I'm not going to babble too much here. If you'd like to support Metamore City in the upcoming Parsec Awards, you've got two more weeks to submit your nominations. The instructions on how to do it will once again be in the show notes. I've started a new section of the website that's dedicated to all the fan-driven activities going on around the world of Metamore. It's called the Metamorphs page, and you can find it by going to www.metamorcity.com and then clicking on the word Metamorphs in the menu bar at the top of the screen. There are links there to the discussion forums over at thecursed.org and to the Legion of Merit, where I recognize those who have gone above and beyond the call of duty to support the show. Stay tuned for more information on how you can become part of the Legion. Now, let's get to some feedback. Hey, Chris. This is Tony Leona of... Well, I don't have a fancy podcast or a fancy website or fancy anything. I'm just a lowly listener that happens to love your podcast. I first heard about it while I was listening to an episode of Escape Pod. The promo with Morgan totally sucked me in. And so, of course, I was 
thrilled to hear Steve Ely have a small role as one of Daniel's flatmates. And hearing some of my other podcasting heroes fill in as the voices continues to make this the best thing that I have listened to in a long time. As I mentioned to you in a message on MySpace, I walk seven miles a day around beautiful Salem Lake here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's difficult convincing myself to get out into nature every day, out into the humidity, to do the walking I desperately need to do. But I have found the perfect solution. I only allow myself to listen to Metamore City podcasts while I'm walking. And now I wake up every morning racing around to get ready to go to the lake just so I can hear more. Your world is literally changing me, getting me in shape. Or maybe I've just gotten in touch of the curse. Maybe I better check my body for excess hair or male appendages. Well, anyway, my dog, Petey, even knows about it. Sure, he doesn't have a set of headphones, but he hears me gasp when something unexpected happens. He hears me mutter out loud when I don't agree with something one of the characters does. And he hears me cheer when something exciting happens. Even Petey knows what a fan I am. Or maybe he just thinks I'm crazy. In episode 16, I found myself shouting at Daniel to tell the collective about Victor's role in the deaths of his friends. But then, when I heard about the way the collective was treating Josephine and her situation as a widow, I realized he'd probably be better off keeping his mouth shut for now. No telling what they do to him. And I'm pretty sure Petey agrees with me. Your sense of description is truly awe-inspiring. The way that you paint scenes with broad, expressive strokes. When I was listening to episode 17, chapter 7 of Making the Cut, I could see every gesture Ava was making, every way she showed Danny how to become a woman. This is my favorite episode so far. When Ava was explaining to Danny the differences between how men and women act physically, I found myself analyzing my own actions, wondering if I act like a woman. I'm afraid Ava would be pretty disappointed in my abrupt and direct linear style. Do you think she'd take me clubbing and give me some lessons? And the style of your stories keeps my attention. I normally have a difficult time listening to stories and, and comprehending them. I start thinking about what I would do if I were the character, how I would act, what I'm having for dinner. Wait, is that a snake over there? What was I talking about again? Oh, yeah. I rarely have to rewind the story to hear something again because my attention wandered with these stories. I love how you managed to absorb every bit of my attention and fully wrap me up in the events of Metamorphosity. I even stumbled over a big, huge, obvious route in the trail today because I was so fully engaged. Fell down, scraped my knee like a toddler learning how to walk. Like I said, I have attention issues. So my only problem now is how am I going to keep walking now that I've caught up on all the episodes? I mean, I could only re-listen to them so many times. So I was thinking maybe you could update like every day. That would work great for me. Well, anyway, thanks for continuing to inspire me and carry me away with your stories. And keep up the wonderful work, and I'll be waiting anxiously for the next installment. Thanks, Tawny. Steve Ely's little review of us on Escape Pod was definitely one of the best things to happen to Metamore City, and I'm hugely grateful to him for doing it. I hope you enjoyed the return of Nathan in this episode. 
I think Steve kind of stole the show, to tell you the truth. And speaking of people stealing the show, episode 17, Pip Ballantyne, <laughs> yowza. She nailed that part, didn't she? I'm getting to love Ava more and more the longer I listen to Pip's performance of her. If I can ever convince Ava to take me clubbing, I'll be happy to invite you along. But that androgyne potion, that's all mine. Anyway, I'm glad to hear that I've been inspiring you to get out in the world more. Now that you're caught up with Metamore City, there's a lot of other great podcast fiction available out there, as I'm sure you know from listening to the promos on my show. Hopefully you and Petey can find plenty of other stories to enjoy together while you're waiting for the next episode of Metamore City. Just watch out for tree roots, okay? Hey, Chris. Um, my name is Erica, and I'm a listener from Metamorph out of the Long Beach area of California. Um, this marks the first time that I've ever taken a moment to call in to a podcast line, and um, for me, it's just a reflection of how much I enjoy your work. And I just wanted to call in. I um, am currently listening to one of your interviews and just wanted to express how talented um, you are. I love the world of uh, Metamorph City, and um, I'm regretting I didn't order my t-shirts, so I'm going to have to wait till they come out and are more expensive, but um, with that said, I um, every time I listen to an episode, I can completely envision it and feel that I will definitely see this on a screen one day somewhere, if that is one of your goals. Um, not too long ago, you expressed being out in California and and uh, looking for work and things like that. And at that time, I thought to myself, this guy should, you know, definitely get into um, some television writing or screenwriting or something because you're just, you know, you're really good. And as I'm listening to your interview, um, hearing how long you've been planning and developing this world and so forth. So I just want to say thank you for sharing your craft and your art with us. Um, I also think your talent is um, reflected in how many established podcasters are participating in um, this adventure with you. So thank you and best of wishes to you and just really, really uh, look forward to being a part of Metamorph as a fan and a listener and uh, I just hope it takes you to wonderful places and I look forward to hearing and hopefully reading um, some work in the future. Take care and looking forward to the next episode. Thanks. Well, thank you very much, Erica. I'm honored to hear that Metamore City is the first show you've called into. I'm glad you're enjoying all the appearances by other podcasters. As J.C. Hutchins has said in the past, I owe my success to the kindness of strangers. Or rather, people who were strangers and are now becoming good friends. So many people have helped to make Metamore City what it is today, and I'm immensely grateful to all of them for believing in this show and what it had the potential to become. As for screenwriting, well, that's something I've thought about, I'll admit, but I don't think it's my strongest suit. I love building worlds and exploring them with words, and there just isn't much time to do that in a screenplay. I still may try my hand at it someday, but for right now, I'm enjoying writing in prose. Seeing a novel in print? That's definitely a dream I can latch on to. That's it for feedback today. If you'd like to add your voice to the show, you can email a recording to feedback at metamorcity.com, or you can call the voicemail line at 206-350-7333. Don't forget to check out the discussion forums over at thecursed.org, and if you're interested in what I'm doing outside the podcast, 
you can visit my new blog, World Building, which is at chrislester.org. You may even find a few Metamore-related surprises in there. That'll do it for this episode. I'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org.